there are other questions that go along with those five R's as well of what's your timetable? How much money are you willing to invest in this? And what is our return on investment on this? And what are we really trying to achieve in this? Is it more optimization, more speed, things like that? Um, so that's the five R's. And then also the last thing, or one thing I want to bring up about the downtime is um, a lot of those things called the nines. So if you're not familiar with the nines are, it's about your availability of your application. So a lot of, a lot of stuff in the, in your availability is measured in nines. So two nines is 90% availability, three days of downtime, three and a half days. And you get increased more and more. You're gonna see the lot inside the cloud is what, what your SLA if your nines are. The big question is, how can you fix and transform your organization's most important foundation, your software, into an asset which allows you to become better every single day? Each department is at its best when it can smoothly, efficiently, and productively operate. And to do that, you need to pay attention to the lifeblood of your organization, your software. The custom software creation geniuses at Architect Now are presenting this podcast as a way to help leaders think more strategically about their software and to roadmap what needs to happen in order to be at the top of their game. No, this podcast is not going to scramble your brain by talking about DevOps or API calls. Our goal on this show is to make you better by giving you the high-level insights that you need so you can better make decisions that will not only be cost-effective, but will help your team on an intangible level as well as a technical one. Welcome to Newsflash, your software company. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Newsflash. You're a software company. I am one of your hosts, Corey Durkin, and on with me today are Alex Will, Don Jacobs-Meyer, and Kevin Gross-Niklaus of Architect Now. And today's episode is called Stop Paying for the Sins of the Past. And today we are going to dive into the nitty-gritty of cloud migration. And I will start this episode by asking you, Kevin, what have you seen as a shift in how people are managing the physical aspects of their technology? You know, back 10, 15 years ago, we all thought of our entire businesses running off of these giant servers and huge racks in the closet on our campus, on our property, in our offices. And with the advent of cloud migration and the ease and the profitability and efficiency that that has wrought, um, you have to kind of think about this in, in, in a completely different way. So, so what, what have you seen as that shift in, in how that all kind of aids the day-to-day business of, of, well, pretty much everybody? I mean, it has been a big shift. The, uh, the needle has moved pretty dramatically, if not all the way from you know, left to right in terms of the capabilities and the costs and the, uh, the security and the scalability of what is possible with your, your network or your infrastructure apps that you might build where they live. Uh, I'm, I'm probably the older person here talking today, but for many years of my career, if you were to you know, have your own email server or your own, you had a, an app or maybe a website that your company used for some, some purpose, you, if you didn't have your own servers that somebody in your network uh, or somebody in your company purchased and provisioned, you bought Dell rack servers and you put them in a server rack in your company's server room at your office. Uh, or, you know, the, the alternative at the time was many local and regional companies had, you know, quote unquote data centers. And they still do to this day, but it's probably more difficult industry to be in. But they had data centers up the street where they said, hey, you don't need to manage your own server, you can buy your own server, but put it in our data center and we will provide you power and, and cooling and internet and you can still manage it. And for years, everybody did that. Uh, I spent 
years at companies with network engineers that that you know were my coworkers, and they would they have servers on order from Dell, and sometimes they'd get old enough they'd have to get a new server, and we'd have to sell the old server. We'd have to do our own backups. We'd have to do our own security patches with Microsoft. We managed all of that ourselves and, and did it very efficiently. And, and we were good at it. And that's you know a service that we even offer to our customers. But the industry today has shifted. That needle's moved to where there's been somewhat of a standardization between Microsoft with Azure, Amazon with AWS, or Google with Google Cloud. They've built massive data centers all around the world and they've called it, quote unquote, the cloud. I mean, it's not fundamentally different how they do it. They just do it at a scale that no one else can. And I can spin up a virtual machine or I can get hardware, I can get services, I can get compute power by paying one of these vendors and setting up an account. Uh, it, it so much within minutes. Back in the day, you might pay $15,000 for a Dell rack, you know, a Dell PowerEdge X server. And I believe you can still do that. And, and it's sad that I say, I believe you can still do that. I just assume that it's still possible. Most people today, the people that used to say we do it better ourselves um, are struggling to justify that comment. Sure. Uh, if, if you have great network technicians, I'm not saying they're not great people and they're not smart. They, they can't do great, great, great work. And, and this is almost, a, I, I don't want to knock a whole subset of people that that do that for a living, but Amazon with AWS or Microsoft with Azure, and I don't want to discount Google, but Google as well, they do this at scale and have, I, I could almost you know, make the blanket statement, they got more smart people keeping an eye on these servers and keep keeping them available than any small to medium-sized business could ever hope to have. And Kevin, before we get too deep into the weeds on cloud migration and really kind of go down that rabbit hole, um, tell me a little bit about why did people cling to the old way for so long, right? Why were people so insistent on, I need to have my servers in the closet. I need to have control over my own, uh, you know, digital infrastructure and it has to stay this way. Why was there so much resistance? And, um, you know, what, what did that look like in terms of kind of helping those people understand the, the pros of what it means to, to migrate to the cloud? There was a lot of things at the time. I mean, uh, years ago, there just wasn't as robust of a cloud infrastructure. The options and the capabilities and moving to the cloud, the security, the scalability, they, they weren't there. So the decision to keep it in-house might've been the best decision at the time or likely was. Um, a lot of people trusted, you know, my data is in my building and it's less likely to be exposed to the world or lost. Uh, the, the availability of of internet access, right? That the actual pipe, whether you, and we live in a world today, post COVID or current COVID where people work remote. Uh, that wasn't as common five, 10, 15 years ago, people worked in an office. And if you were in the office, having access to those servers in you know, the, a floor below you was faster than going out through the slow internet that was available at the time. And you never really thought about people working from a Starbucks or from their house. Some people might have done it early on and they would have a, a virtual private network or a VPN or some secure access to the office, but they were the rarity. Uh, today, they're the norm. People that, that work at Starbucks or co-working spaces or their, their home offices, they're the norm. And even at their houses or wherever they're at, they have fast internet. So their fast internet can get them just uh, quicker to the cloud than they can to your office. So there, there was a lot of technical reasons. And then there was just a lot of 
maybe at the time founded, but today less, you know, a little bit more unfounded fear, the, the FUD factor, people sold you on, you must control your own data. You can't let, let it sit in the cloud. Uh, what's happened is with ransomware and with security breaches and with patches and with the, the continuing tide and the advances of technology, it's a lot more expensive to keep your own infrastructure up than it is to rely on someone else. Uh, it, someone else manages it at scale, someone else being, and again, I'm, I'm oversimplifying these major cloud providers like the Microsofts and the Amazons, but they do it at scale and they manage uh, they will, they'll manage penetration testing. They'll set up firewalls for you. They, if I want another server, I can do it in three minutes as opposed to waiting. I only pay for what I use. If I want to turn a server off overnight because my employees aren't working, I can do that. I don't pay for them. So there's ways to save money. Uh, the other fear factor was it's cheaper for me to pay for a server. And then say I pay $15,000. I eat that cost today. Uh, Next year, I don't have that cost. The year after, I can live on the server for 10 years, right? I'm, I'm projecting that cost over the server is going to last me a long time. Uh, today, you just pay for what you need, whether it's on or you know, if you can turn things off or creatively save money, there's uh, people that can help you do that. But you don't have that upfront cost that you just you know capitalize over time. Now, you turn things on and off as needed. If I needed to do some major calculation, I could turn a huge, I could turn a $100,000 server on for two hours, pay you know, a decent cost for those two hours, turn it off and I don't pay again. And it, it took me all of you know, four minutes to turn it on, a couple hours to use it, you know, 30 seconds to turn it off. Microsoft has that server sitting in a, in a cloud data center somewhere. I don't know anything about it. I don't manage it. I don't secure it. They've got smart people doing it. So those capabilities weren't available back then. And there was a lot of FUD factor and a lot of reasons, but most people today are shifting their mindset saying doing this ourselves is a risk to our business, a major risk to our business. We need to get out of doing it ourselves, trust someone else. And the people that used to manage it, their own network people, they still employ, they, their skill sets just change, their focus changes. They now manage these cloud assets. Uh, they, they just do different things. So. Now, Don, one of the things that uh, people are also somewhat concerned about at times, and this is the other big objection to going to the cloud is, you know, what if these big service providers go down? So talk to me a little bit about kind of the, what that looks like and the, the benefits of, um, you know, still being connected to the cloud if the cloud goes down versus, you know, the, the, the cons of what happens if your own server fries. You know, the, the concept of sort of what is your point of failure is kind of what we're getting to here. So in the cloud, you have many options, depending on what the service is, you have many options to sort of prevent uh, an egregious event from happening, even if there's an outage. So for your average, you know, compute, let's say, um, you can spread out the compute that you need across many physical locations so that you could have an entire data center go down and this happened just recently uh, a couple times with amazon and not to pick on them i mean it happens with azure too but uh, you can have an entire location go down for one reason or another and if you've architected your your application you know well um, you only experience some sort of minor performance problems and even that can be further mitigated 
by some sort of auto scaling when it detects, uh, you know, increased activity. So even having all of your infrastructure in the cloud, there are still plenty of options to, you know, prevent 100% downtime. The, the cloud providers then, you know, even if it is a, a mission critical service that is only available in, you know, whatever location that it's in, they are professional, they are the professionals regarding, you know, recovering from a downtime event. Um, you know, comparatively, if if you have your own infrastructure and there's, you know, a fire or an electrical surge or, you know, whatever it may be, even if you, you know, seemingly have backups done of your own infrastructure on the same rack, if the whole rack goes down, you actually don't have anything backed up. You don't have any redundancy. And that's not even talking about a malicious, you know, actor. That's just sort of freak accident. Um, so the, the primary benefits to the cloud is that if you need that level of risk mitigation, you can spread out your exposure across many data centers uh, for all the services that you need so that your point of failure is not singular. Right. And, and the ability to have multiple options to be able to proactively solve those issues when they do happen um, are much more cost efficient, much, much quicker, and much easier uh, at scale when you're in the cloud. Uh, Alex, right. as, as we start to dive a little deeper into the conversation about um, cloud migration, talk to me about your favorite acronym of all time, aside from NBA, which is the five R's and tell me what the five R's are and, uh, and, and what they mean when it comes to being able to think about this process on a holistic level and, and really get your business where it needs to be in terms of cloud migration. Yeah. So the five R's, a lot of people that have, you know, different words for them, but it's basically at a high level, the first one, and these are kind of ordered by how much effort they take. So you have the rehost, right? You take your, you take your VMs, do nothing to them, save that things, put them in the cloud, right? Very little work. You have your refactoring of them where you're kind of taking the same app and you're just kind of changing a small little layer of it to take advantage of not worrying about the operating system and just put them in the cloud and put your code up there. Those are very low changes, no code change type of things. And you get a re-architect, which is next. A little more effort. You're kind of changing somehow systems work. You might do a little bit of coding changes, but you're taking advantage of different offerings in the cloud to either like lower cost, increase performance, or both, right? Those kind of things. And then there's the rebuild, right? We have new options in the cloud that we never had options before of uh, services we take advantage of. So this is going to be kind of like rethinking about how the system works, um, such as like low code, no code, we talked about in a previous episode, or you know, things like that. And the last one is like, you're totally replacing it. You might be replacing it with a totally new system that is off the shelf that you no longer need to maintain yourself. Um, there's all those kind of things right there. And a lot of it is just the effort and uh, cloud optimization for it. There are other questions that go along with those five R's as well of what's your timetable? How much money are you willing to invest in this? And what is our return on investment on this? And what are we really trying to achieve in this? Is it more optimization, more speed, things like that? Um, so that's the five R's. And then also the last thing, or one thing I want to bring up about the downtime is um, a lot of those things called the nines. So if you're not familiar with the nines are, it's about your availability of your application. So a lot of, a lot of stuff in, the, in your availability is measured in nines. So two nines, 
is 99% availability, three days of downtime, three and a half days. And you get increased more and more. You're gonna see that a lot inside the cloud is what, what your SLA if your nines are. And tell me a little bit more about refactoring. Just just explain to me what the idea of refactoring means. And then I have a, a question about that for Don. So 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 tell me in a nutshell what, what it means to move something and then have to refactor it. Yes, yeah, so the refactor of that one would be more looking at like you have a Windows VM on your on-prem data center and it's running some kind of website, right? So when you do that and let's say it's a let's say it's a Microsoft app, so you know, Microsoft shop. You have your your OS windows, you have you're installing the .NET runtime, which is what's running the code, and you're using um, a thing called IIS, which delivers the app, so it exposes it to the internet. So those are all things you have to maintain. You have to maintain the OS, make sure you keep it up to date. You have to maintain, um, make sure it's on and running for your you know, delivering the app. You make sure everything's installed. When you kind of use the refactoring onto the cloud of using the platform as a service, you're no longer about the you're no longer worrying about the OS. Microsoft handles that. You're no longer worrying about delivering the app and keeping it up. Microsoft handles that. They're doing all that for you. So it just allows you to worry less about something, so you can focus on more of what you're actually trying to solve. Got it. Okay, that that makes a lot of sense. And then Don, as we switch to uh, wrapping up the episode, talking about architectural considerations, right? So when you're moving from on-prem to the cloud, you have to think about um, you know, different pieces of, of your entire digital ecosystem, right? Do you have um, different parts of your ecosystem that have a lot of heavy compute power? Um, tell me where that fits into the, the, the scope of a cloud migration, right? In other words, so we, we understand what refactoring is. We understand that moving from on-prem to the cloud is, is in some cases going to provide you with, yes, a little bit more work, Talk to me about some of those things that need to be considered when a migration like that is 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 happening, and most importantly, why doing so can really bring your entire consumption of computing power down, um, uh, and also your uh, your consumption of cash. Yeah, and you know, Alex and Kevin are the experts here, but um, I'll sort of tee it up, and if they want to chime in, uh, feel free to jump in, but. It's really what Alex was sort of describing just now that um, your your consumption at the sort of application level goes down uh, when you don't need access to the entire virtual machine, let's say. So by refactoring, you make what you're paying Microsoft for, you know, smaller. Uh, they're able to manage it and abstract it in ways that, you know, you get to sort of um, I'd say buy your money back, but that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But the simplicity there affords you uh, a lower consumption cost per month. Um, you know, back in the day when I say back in the day, some people still do this. Um, you know, when you have your own infrastructure on-prem and you have these servers that are in your closet, you have a lot of horsepower. And so maybe your developers were sort of in tune with power performance consumption and all of that, but maybe they weren't. And so they may have just been very gratuitous with the amount of um, sort of. How they distributed um, your computing power. Exactly. So some apps were very, very intensive in the database historically. And they would use technology and tools that would run a lot of logic sort of directly on the database server 
And you know, nowadays when you're thinking about consumption on a monthly basis in the cloud, there are other ways to achieve the end result by uh, re-architecting where this business logic takes place in your application. And that we can get sort of technical um, either in another episode or with a particular client to sort of get more into that. But basically the, the cost has changed where you're spending money is different now. Um, when you're spending money in the cloud, it's literally per you know second of compute time. When you're spending money on-prem, it's a it's a whole big capitalization you know exercise, and so it's this capex versus opex um, topic that we've talked about here before early on, uh, and that's really the the primary driver. Uh, Alex and Kevin, anything, I mean, Don sold himself short by saying that, you know, he's not the expert in that, but um, anything else that either of you would want to add to his explanation and, and, and that topic of sort of architectural considerations when a migration is happening? Yeah. So when you do go to the cloud, you only, so when you're on-prem, you have a toolbox. What do you currently have, right? Whatever VMs you have, how much of a compute you have. When you go to the cloud, your toolbox is widened. Because you have so many more resources available at your tool at your fingertips. So let's say we are doing a very data intensive process that we take tens of thousands of dollars of servers on prem that we only need something. So let's say it's a very data intensive processing. We're figuring out some optimization route, and it takes eight weeks to run on prem because we have the servers we have. In the cloud, I could say, hey, let me borrow this hundred thousand dollar computer for two days and knock it out in two days versus eight weeks. So a lot of that migration is just widen your toolbox of what you can actually use. And Kevin, when you're thinking about that toolbox of things you can actually use, um, you know, when you're in the cloud, the, the, the greatest thing is instead of having to install more hardware or software um, or, or having to hire more people to deploy the things you want to have happen, you can just click a few buttons and instantly you have more tools and more computing power to allow you to scale um, as needed. I mean, that's really one of the biggest benefits. We talked a lot about the migration piece of it, but you know, the idea of adding those tools and that capability really lends itself to one's scalability in their business, doesn't it? It does. I mean, we're using a lot of technical terms here, you know, as we talk in terms of VMs, which is just a, a, a virtual machine in terms of you got two servers at your office, we can set up two servers in the cloud. You're just, like Alex mentioned a second ago, you're borrowing them from Microsoft and you're paying for as long as they're turned on. And you can have them turned on and off. If they turn off Microsoft, they've got an automated process or Amazon or anybody else. They just assign that server to somebody else. I got a web browser, I can log in. The, the simplest analogy is storage. If I, you know, back in the day, if I ran a small office, I'm a network guy at a small business, and we store files, say we store invoices or some type of files. I need to know what size those are. Just like people today buy phones or iPads, they care, do you want the 256 gig version versus the 512 versus the one terabyte? Uh, back you know, in my youth, I talk about sizes like that. People look at me like I was some magician. And now, you know, grandparents, parents, little kids know roughly how many apps they have on a phone and what size of phone they need. So if, when I had servers in my closet, I cared, you know, what do I, what does my business currently have in terms of files? Maybe they have a hundred gigabytes of files. I can't buy a hundred gigabyte hard drive. I got to buy 
a 500 gigabyte or a, you know, a terabyte, a thousand gigabyte hard drive so that I plan for the future. And you're always planning for capacity. If you buy your own hardware, you get a physical thing. It shows up in the mail, it's packed, it's in you know shrink wrap, you have to install it. And if you outgrow it, you have to plan for that growth and order a new one well in advance and move everything from the old one to the new one. In the cloud, you don't have to worry about that. Like you just mentioned, it's a dial. I log into a website. In terms of storage, file storage, I think I tell people the cloud is unlimited. Microsoft is managing that. Amazon is managing that. They know that my account is using 100 terabytes and I'm growing at X capacity. So they will just add more. If they run out of storage, it's all kind of this virtual quote unquote cloud thing. They add more, you know, load balanced hard drives on the back end that they keep all my stuff backed up and ready to go. Do I pay for that? Yes, I pay for every gigabyte or whatever the dial is for the thing I'm paying for. If it's a server, I can, if I have an app running on one server and it's it's full, it's running out of memory or it's running out of, you know, processor usage, I can just turn a little knob in a website, log into my account, say, I need four more exactly like this. And they will clone it four times and they will distribute the work across all. When we say work, it's something that needs done. If you're selling toys at Christmas time, there's more people hitting your website, for example, you're going to have more need for servers or compute, you know, quote unquote compute. There's just more infrastructure being utilized. But once Christmas is over, maybe that's your biggest season, you need less. And I don't, back in the day, I had to buy, you know, five servers to handle Christmas and then I'm stuck with them the rest of the year. And I've, I've paid for them. I just wait for next Christmas to get a little bit more value out of them. Now you don't really need to do that. You know, turn on five of them in the cloud. Microsoft says, great, you're going to pay more these two or three months. Turn it back down to one or two, you know, and then Microsoft says, oh, well, we're going to give that infrastructure to somebody else for now. You pay less. So you can be very creative and scale your business. Uh, the biggest thing that people don't realize the people that are really good are small to medium-sized businesses because with the cloud, with whoever they use, if they're creative about doing the architecture like Don mentioned, you can compete with Walmart, with you know major, major companies. You have access to the same infrastructure they do. Yep. Now, do you pay the same amount a month that they pay? No, but if you grew fast enough technology-wise, you could just keep turning those dials up or they'll auto turn up. There's nothing separating you from these major fortune 500 or fortune 100 companies in terms of access to the infrastructure you have just as smart people working for you uh, or helping you they work for microsoft they work for amazon but the same smart people are keeping your infrastructure alive and giving you tips as there's keeping you know the walmart's targets major corporations uh, they're all leveraging the cloud as well so the the haves and the have-nots have kind of gone away because we, it's just dials. Now, if you're gonna turn on thousands of servers, you better have enough revenue based on what you're selling or doing to pay for them because you're gonna get a bill. Uh, but in the end, if, if that's the case, if you just go bang, you got a widget that you're selling or you've got a process that people are signing up for your service so fast, uh, it, as opposed to calling Dell and saying, oh gosh, I need 40 new servers and I need them fast because my company is exploding and we're so popular. You just turn a dial and you have it within minutes. Yeah. And listen, that scalability, that efficiency, um, the, the ability to not only efficiently run your business's compute, 
but also to efficiently spend money where you need to and don't spend money where you don't need to um, is, is a really powerful uh, value add of what it means to be in the cloud. And I think the other, the other piece of that is really, you know, it's, it's just getting away from the old mentality of if I buy this server, um, I don't, ha- I pay for it once and I don't have to pay for it year after year. And simply the, the, at the pace that technology moves at the pace that security updates move, you're going to end up paying way more for the maintenance of something like that on-prem versus turning it over to the collective brain power of companies like Google and Amazon and Azure and, and saying, listen, you guys know what you're doing. Um, you do this every single second of every single day. And, uh, you know, I'm going to trust you with the scalability and profitability of uh, this part of my business. I think it makes a ton of sense. And I think it's a, it's really, you know, if you're, if you're not there uh, and you haven't gotten to the cloud migration, um, the only question I would have for you is what the heck are you waiting for? Because it is high time that you took advantage of the cost savings and of the efficiency that doing a cloud migration uh, can bring your organization. That'll do it for this episode of Newsflash, you're a software company. Thank you to Kevin, Don, and Alex. Um, your genius thoughts are always welcomed and appreciated. And uh, we look forward to seeing you on another episode. See you soon, gentlemen. Thank you, guys. This podcast is presented to you by Architect Now. Whether launching new cloud or mobile apps or modernizing your legacy platforms, Architect Now can help you identify the best options and work with you to bring those ideas to life. If you like the information in this podcast, we can assure you it is only a fraction of the actionable wisdom and insights you will gain by talking to the team at Architect Now. To learn more and start a conversation, visit us on the web at www.architectnow.net. We'll see you on the next episode of the Newsflash, you're a software company podcast.